You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. Great to reflect on what our Lord did for us when He went to the cross for us. And like I mentioned earlier, it's really hard to celebrate Easter without taking at least a snapshot of what He did for us at the cross. Let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll go into the message. Father, we thank You for this opportunity to celebrate You in the heart of the city. You said clearly if that if you would be lifted up, you would draw all men unto you. And so this morning, God, we thank you that every single one of us can be drawn closer to you, no matter where we are. Maybe we are very new to understanding who you are and new to faith, or maybe we have been a follower of you for many, many years. It doesn't really matter when we're in your presence, you draw us closer to you. God, your incredible love for us, it goes beyond what we can even think or imagine And so today, again, we just say, Lord, would you love us, fill us with this presence, your presence, as we, as we again express our gratitude, our love for you, as you paid an incredible price for us to find the way home back to the Father. Amen. After the crucifixion, Jesus' body is taken down. Joseph of Arimathea, he's reportedly the third wealthiest man in Jerusalem. And he approaches Pilate and says, Pilate, I'd like to have the body of Jesus. John could have never done that. He just didn't have the connections. He didn't have the money. And he was maybe too closely associated with Jesus. He was afraid to do it. But Pilate does that. And the body of Jesus is taken and prepared. They don't have a lot of time. It's a very little window because Passover was coming. And so they just really had a few hours to prepare the body and put it inside this tomb. He's a rich man, and Isaiah had prophesied that the body of our Lord would be placed in a rich man's tomb. So many prophecies, so many little details, all perfectly fulfilled. Pilate is nervous about it. He's thinking, you know what, something fishy could happen here. There's been enough drama already. I'm going to put Roman guards and seal this thing so nobody can come and take the body. The disciples have retreated. They've gone into hiding, basically. And who can blame them? I would probably do the same thing. You'd do the same thing. Uh, They saw the way our Lord was crucified, and they'd be maybe thinking I would be next. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of grief. And so they retreat. They're likely in the upper room, the same room that our Lord had asked them to take the Last Supper. And so we pick up the story in John chapter 20, and here now it's a couple days later, and it says in John chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, early in the morning on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone was moved. Now, please remember the stone weighs eight tons. That's a heavy stone. Moved away from the entrance, she ran at once to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John, breathlessly panting. They took the master from the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. Early in the morning, Mary Magdalene can't sleep. She's up at night. I don't know what keeps you awake at night, but this event was keeping her awake. She's troubled, and they want to finish the anointing of Christ for burial. They don't know how they're going to do it, but they're stirred by it. Matthew's account tells us it wasn't just Mary. There were some other ladies that went with her, but Mary was leading the charge. This is Mary Magdalene. 
Mary Magdalene is often considered to have been a prostitute. She was one who had seven demons in her. She was an extremely troubled, mixed-up woman. But when she met Jesus, when she met Jesus, Jesus set her free. And when Jesus has set you free, there is an incredible love for him. The Bible says, to much is forgiven, that person loves much. And when Jesus comes and sets you free, and you can't even explain it, and you really don't care what other people think, because you have met Jesus, and she knew Jesus that way. She gets up early, and you have to understand, as a woman and with these other ladies, to leave Jerusalem, to leave the city, it's still dark. The roosters aren't crowing. A couple dogs barking, cats running here and there, whatnot, and they walk through the city. Outside the city, they're walking at night towards a graveyard where tombs are. That's uncomfortable for anybody. But when you love much, you don't fear. Perfect love casts out, out, casts out fear. She could have feared so many things, Roman soldiers. She could have feared the dark. She could have feared a graveyard. But love will drive away fear. And as she went that day towards the tomb, she arrives and she sees something that just surprised her. The stones moved. They've been asking who's going to move the stone, and now the stone has moved. And they, as she approaches closer, she realizes that the body's gone. She turns around, and she runs back full speed, and she's going to go tell Peter and John. Now, this is an interesting point because Mary of Magdalene ends up being the first to witness the empty tomb and the first to witness Jesus raised from the dead. It's interesting because in their day, women weren't allowed to give testimony in court. You couldn't be a witness. So if you were trying to set this up as a hoax or a story like that, you would have never chosen a woman, especially one who had this kind of reputation, to be your first witness. But she's the first witness. She runs back and she wakes up Peter and John. You guys, wake up, wake up. And I can see Peter and John rubbing the sleep out of their eyes and say, Mary, Mary, what is it? It's been a hard couple of days. What, what do you need? And Mary says, the stone's moved. The master's gone. They've taken his body. Peter and John, they jump up. They start running with Mary. They're heading back towards the graveyard, back to the tomb. Peter's running. John's just booking it. He's younger. He actually outruns Peter. They get to the tomb. They see the stone rolled away. John's there first. So he runs up, and he looks in, and he goes, Where's Jesus? His clothes are there. The wrappings, the linen wrappings that they wrapped him in, just kind of like his body was sucked out of there. They just kind of collapsed. And then there's this napkin that was over his face. It's neatly folded. And he's like, this is, this is really strange. And he, he doesn't go in. But then Peter comes up. He caught up with him. And he comes running up. And he's panting. It's about a 25-minute run. So it's a, they ran a little ways. And he, he comes up. And he, he looks. And he looks at John and says, John, I'm going in. This is Peter. This guy walked on water, remember? He's, Peter's impetuous. He's like, let's, he's a get-it-done kind of guy. So he just, he walks right into this tomb, and he looks, and sure enough, there's the grave clothes. There's a napkin neatly folded. Somebody did a teaching on the napkin once, neatly folded. Apparently in the day, if you folded your napkin when you left the table, that means I'm just leaving for a while. I'll be back. But if you crumpled your napkin and said, I'm done eating, it's over. The fact that it was folded was sending a message. 
Jesus was coming back. He's alive. He's around. They probably picked up on that. So now they come out of the tomb, and they head back toward their houses. Mary Magdalene is still there. She caught up. She's leaning up against the tomb, pictured on the canvas of your mind. She's leaning there, and she is crying. Have you ever lost a loved one, and you just were weeping? You can't really stop. It's just, you know what it's like. You've lost a loved one, and all of a sudden it just hits you, and you just cry. It hits her, and she's just crying for Jesus, who she so loved. Leaning up against that rock, and she's crying And she steps down one more time to look in. Is he really gone? And as she looks in, she sees two angels, one at the foot and one at the head where Jesus would have laid. And they ask her the question, why are you weeping? And she's like, well, they've taken my master, and I don't know where they've taken him. She steps back out of the tomb, and she looks up, and another man says to her, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? She doesn't recognize it but it's Jesus. She thinks it's the gardener. She says to him, look, if you've taken my master, tell me, and uh, I'll take care of him. And then Jesus says a very short sentence, just one word. But to Mary, it would be the most important word of her life. He says to her, Mary. Jesus knows your name. He calls his sheep by their name. And he just said, Mary. And she said, Rabboni, which means teacher, master. They had a very short conversation. Mary, Rabboni, teacher, master. Can, can you feel her surprise? Can you feel her relief? Can you feel her bewilderment? Can you, it's like, is this a dream? Is this a ghost? Teacher, she's the first to see Jesus. She's the first to hear and talk to Jesus, but she's also the first to touch Jesus. Jesus is not a ghost. This wasn't resuscitation. This wasn't reincarnation. This was the resurrection, a new body, healed, transformed. And she reaches out and she hugs Jesus. And Jesus says, Mary, wait. I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go and tell my disciples that I'm going to. Now, listen carefully. To my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus will say, I have made a way back to the Father. No more lambs, no more sacrifice, no more law. It's done. It's finished. There's a clear path all the way to the Father. No roadblocks. It's done. It's finished. It's clear. You don't have to do this or that. Just accept the sacrifice that I paid for you. Go tell them. I've added a few words, but you get the idea. So, they... She heads back, and she reports it to the disciples. The disciples are afraid. In John chapter 20, 19 and 20, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, they're still living in fear. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, The idea is he didn't use the door. He's got a resurrected body. One day we'll have a resurrected body. You don't need doors. You can live beyond the three dimensions. And he said to them, peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. He moved them from fear to faith. Jesus still does that today. He didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. He said, I will give you my spirit. And when you see Jesus alive, fear no longer controls your life. Later on, they would meet again, but they weren't meeting in fear. Now they're meeting in fear. But when Jesus is in the midst, when you know Jesus is near, you can walk through the valley and fear no evil. For his rod and his staff, they comfort you. When Jesus rose from the grave, he did two things. It proved who Jesus was, and it validated everything that he taught. Jesus also had to help a person move from unbelief to belief. This was Thomas. For whatever reason, Thomas wasn't at the first meeting. I don't know where Thomas was. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe it was like, you know what, you guys? You're going to hole up in that house, and I think they're going to find you, so I'm going to go somewhere else so they don't find me. I don't know what his reason was, but he wasn't there. Maybe he had something else up. He could have had a hundred excuses, but he wasn't with the other disciples that day. And so the disciples come up, and they report to him what they saw. You can't blame them. They're pretty excited because they've seen Jesus alive in the midst with them. And so we read in John 20, verse 25, the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, this is Thomas, unless I see his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. I'm not going to believe. I've made up my mind. I'm not going to believe unless this happens and this happens. Now, if I was God, and you're all glad that I'm not, and I'm glad that I'm not, but if I was God, I would say, well, tough luck, Thomas. If that's your attitude, then have it your way. But no, that's not Jesus. He wants to reveal himself to Thomas as well. Even though Thomas was like, I don't want to believe. Here's some reasons why we might not want to believe today. Sometimes people don't want to believe in God because they've been hurt. They've been hurt by the church, or they've been hurt by even another Christian. It shouldn't happen, but it happens. Or you've been hurt by another religion. You go, man, if that's what it's about, if that's what fallen God's about, I'm, I'm not going to believe. I don't want anything to do with it. Yesterday on the way back I, from getting things ready, I was walking by the church, and there's a, a fellow who, who sits outside of our church. He's, he's been there for years, and every once in a while he'll show up, and, and his name's Danny. And I said, hey, Danny, how you doing? And uh, I talked to them briefly, and years ago, I sat with Danny, and I said, Danny, you know, you've been invited to come to church hundreds of times. Everybody comes by and says, hey, why don't you come to church? But you've never come. Why don't you come? And he didn't say anything. And then a, a couple weeks later, he says, I want to talk to you. So he brought me over, and we're sitting there, and he usually has a beer beside the church, and he was sitting there, and so we had a little chat, and I had a coffee, and he had a beer, and we had this little chat. And, uh, but Danny told me a sad story. It was a sad story because somebody in the church had, had hurt him deeply. And he says, I'm not going back to church because I was hurt. And oh, he chose not to believe because he's hurt. I still, I still pray for him. I pray that that roadblock would be removed. I know God still is reaching out to Danny. Maybe we chose not to believe because of pride. Pride can get in the way and say, 
Why would I want to believe in God and surrender to Him? You know, Mary Magdalene called Him Lord, and the disciples called Him Lord and Savior. And why would I, why would I surrender? I'm going to be with Frank Sinatra and sing, I did it my way, and I don't need to give my life to somebody. I'm, I'm going to do it my way. We could have pride get in the way, and we choose not to believe because of pride. When our church was meeting on Robson Street, we had uh, a fellow come to church one Sunday, and we weren't that big. It was a pretty small gathering at the time, and when he showed up, it looked like he was really uncomfortable being in church. He must have thought you had to wear a suit to come to church because he had this suit and tie on, but it looked like he maybe picked that up at a second-hand store. The legs were too short, and the buttons didn't fit on the jacket, and the tie wasn't done upright. But he, he thought, I guess, he had to wear a suit to come to church. Aren't you glad you don't have to do that? And so he was there, and he was standing really uncomfortable. I went up to him, introduced myself, and his name was David, so we had this little chat about David because our names are the same. And then uh, I said, have a seat and enjoy our service. Well, we had a guest speaker that morning. And at the end of the service, she said, you know, if you would like to give your life to the Lord, uh, I, I want to pray with you. And then out of the corner of my eye, on the left-hand side, I see this guy from the back running up to the front. I've never seen him before. I thought, well, this is really strange. This new guy's running. He just bolts it, runs right up to the front, and he stands there, not right in front of her, but off to the side. He's just standing there, and he's almost like he's frozen. And then she said, well, would anybody else like to come up? And there's a few other people that came up. And so she went over to pray for him, and she got close to him. He just falls over. I go, okay, this is really strange. He's kind of like those Roman soldiers who were guarding the tomb. He just fainted, so to speak. So I, I went over to him. I said, I bent down. I said, are you okay, David? And he's just kind of lying there, and I helped him up. I said, David, what happened? He says, I need to tell you my story. I said, I'm really interested in your story. And I said, what, what is going on? And so we sat down, and he said, you know, I have never believed in God, didn't want to believe in God. I was the leader of the Canadian Communist Party. I've been trained in other countries. I've been trained not to believe in God. But about a year ago, I went through a really hard time in my life. I had to fly back to the East Coast, the Maritimes. And in my time of getting better there, I started watching television preachers. And my mom would come and say, Dave, what are you doing? Don't watch those preachers. And he said, you know what, they're really good speakers. I'm just going to watch how they speak because I want to learn how to speak the way they do. And his mom said, whatever. He said, so I started watching these preachers. And this one particular preacher was just really my favorite preacher. And I actually started to like watching this, believe it or not. Even though I don't believe in God, I was not going to believe in God. I kind of liked watching it. So then when I got better, I came back to Vancouver and I was here in the West End, and I, I called a radio station. That time, uh, 600 on the dial was a Christian station. So he called them up and said, I think it was called The Bridge. He called them up and said, Can I, could you tell me if there's a church downtown? They said, well, there's this, this church and here, and these, but there's also one in the hotel, in the Landmark Hotel. He said, well, that's right beside me. So he, he said, I came to the church here this morning. I didn't know what to wear. I got a suit. I thought you had to wear a suit and all the rest of it, so here I am. He said, but then I was, I'm standing in the service. And at the end of it, she said, if you'd like to know Jesus. He says, you have to understand that I have made up my mind not to believe. I'm not even sure why I'm here. But when I looked up there, standing beside her was somebody in white. There was, I knew that it was Jesus. He said, I don't know if I saw a vision. I don't know if it was, there, but I just knew that that was Jesus. 
Jesus went out of His way to reach Thomas in his unbelief. And Jesus went out of his way to reach a guy by the name of David that day. I've never seen it since. It hasn't happened quite that way ever before. But David that day gave his life to the Lord. And boy, did he change. He said, Dave, now, he said, Dave, I'm really good at demonstrations. I've been trained at this. He says, I will get this church on the map. He says, I've been chained to trees. I used to protest. I would go to schools, and I'd carry signs. Jesus died for his own sins, not yours. And I would, I'd, I'd promote this. Promote that. He says, I know how to make a promotion. I said, well, I'm not sure we're interested in that kind of uh, advertising. So we'll, we'll take a different twist on it. And he, but he was, he was really zealous, and uh, he had all this energy. So then the day came for water baptism. And again, like Pastor Cheryl mentioned, we have water baptism a week this coming Saturday. And uh, so he invited all his friends, and his friends, they were a neat group of people. And uh, at that time, we had a, a pool in our backyard. We did a big barbecue. We had this baptism. And so they arrived, and uh, they, he goes in the water, and he's baptized. And when David comes out of the water, I mean, he's, he comes out, he, is, he does not have a religious bone in his body. He, is, he's got, he does a double fist pump. He comes out, yeah! And he's just so excited. And his friends are all kind of looking at him. They, they can't figure this thing out. And he, he comes out of the water, and they said, okay, David, let's go now. We've got a couple cases of beer in the trunk. Let's go. Let's party. And I never forget David's response because he got it. He looked at them and he said, you will never see that David again. He's buried in that water. I am a new man. As the Bible says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new person. All things have passed away. What happened? The resurrection power of Jesus touched a man that was full of pride and said, I don't need, I don't need to believe. But somehow, even though he was, had his walls up, Jesus in his infinite love knew how to reach him. Sometimes we choose not to believe because we're afraid. Man, if I believe, do I have to become this religious nutcase? I've seen some of those. I don't want to be like that, so I think keep my, keep my distance. Or I may be afraid that if I believe, will my friends reject me? Will my friends? You might. Some of your friends might say, uh, I'm not going with you on that. But the good news is, Jesus said, you'll find a lot more friends who are true friends who will stick with you. One of the greatest blessings of being a church is the family of God. Wow, we saw that on Good Friday. Churches coming together and just worshiping. What a rich experience. What a blessing it is to be in the family of God. And sometimes we choose not to believe just because we don't want to think about God. I think a lot of Vancouverites might be in that position. At a funeral, we think about God. Or maybe we look at the universe, the way it's created, or we look at the design and we think, there must be an intelligent designer. There must be a God. But they say, no, no, I don't want to think about that. I, I, I don't want to go there. I'll get busy. We get so self-absorbed, so preoccupied. Our mind gets so cluttered that we close up our mind to think about God. Today, for whatever reason, you're here. You're taking a few minutes, and you're just, again, reflecting on the most incredible moment in history where God became flesh, dwelt with us, and demonstrated to us how much He loved us. God goes out of way, His way to meet us when we need to believe. The disciples are given a, an assignment by Jesus. He's there with them. In John chapter 20, 21, He spoke to them again and said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. He says, I'm sending you. The Father sent me, now I'm sending you. You've got to give this stuff away. 
the best Christian life is the one where you give it away. And the more you give it away, the greater the joy is. He tells them in Matthew's account, go into all the world and share this good news with everybody you can. And then in Acts, after the uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he said, I will give you power from the Holy Spirit to be my witness. And really, all you have to do is just say, this is what happened to me. David sat down and beside me, he says, here's my story. Here's what happened to me. It was so compelling what, how Jesus found him, a guy who was so against believing in Jesus. But Jesus found him. And he said, just go tell your story. Tell it to the world. The neat thing about being in Vancouver is the world's come to our doorstep. A couple of years ago when we did the parade of flags on Christmas, we had 70 or more, 80 nations that all paraded down, all within just our little congregation. But in our community, the nations are here, and people are so hungry. Somebody was sharing with me that they had invited someone to Easter service, and that individual had told their, their daughter, and their daughter had said, boy, I wish somebody would invite me to Easter service. People are hungry. They, they want to know. Sometimes they put up a bit of a front, but deep down inside, people are they're really interested, especially if we're authentic and sincere about it. The stone was rolled away so Mary Magdalene could look in, so John could look in, so Peter could look in, and so you and I can look in. God says, come inspect, come look, come check it out. And there hasn't been an event in history that has been more studied, more reviewed, more critiqued than this pivotal point, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of the greatest minds that ever lived have studied it. You've heard of the movie Ben-Hur that was studied by a man who wrote that, and he actually set out to disprove the resurrection, and he ended up believing it. That's happened to a number of people. A guy by the name of Simon Greenleaf, another fellow from Harvard. There's a lawyer. If you go to the Guinness World Book of Records, you'll find out he's the greatest lawyer. He had something like 245 consecutive wins, and his name was Sir Lionel LeCou. At the age of 63, he said, I've examined the evidence. I've reviewed it over and over again. It's one of the greatest lawyers that ever lived. And he said, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the resurrection is truth, is a fact. It's not just a theology. We hear today you celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And it's not just a, a Bible theology. It's an historical fact. There really was a man named Jesus. He really was crucified. He really was put in a grave. And he really did rise again. I met a lady one time and. She had come to the church off and on, and she said to me, she said, you know, I, I think Jesus is a good teacher. I think he had a good moral code. I think he made actually a good influence on the world. But I can't believe that he's the Son of God and rose from the grave. And I said, well, in all due respect, you haven't done your homework. If you'll go back with an open mind and study, I think you'll find something different. And she said, okay, uh, fair enough. What are the books that I should read? So I gave her a book called Who Moved the Stone and a couple other books. And she and I said, take it and take some time to read it. And she did. A couple months later, she came back and she said, it's true. He is the Son of God. He's alive. So God loves to be examined. That's why the tomb was opened. Come, look. The Shroud of Turin toured here not too long ago. And I watched a documentary on National Geographic about it. Very interesting. They're troubled by some things about it. They can't explain because there's this negative image on the Shroud of Turin that's impossible to do. I'm not saying that it is indeed the cloth that laid over Jesus, but the evidence is overwhelming. 
And the neat thing as these scientists went through it, they said how that impression was made on that cloth, some type of energy must have been released for that to take place. I think it's the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's come to live and dwell within every one of us. God loved the world. He loves us, and He's given such an open invitation. The Bible says that He wishes that none should perish. He didn't want Thomas to perish. He didn't want anyone to perish. Please understand this overwhelming love that God has for us. This coming Tuesday is the 100th anniversary of the Titanic leaving England on its maiden voyage to New York City. If you're a follower of that movie at all, The Titanic, you know that it's been recently released in 3D. James Cameron, our Canadian filmmaker, released it. You know, a few weeks ago, he went down to the deepest part of the ocean. He's done some amazing things. And, and he, he said something about the Titanic that was very interesting. He said, the Titanic is a metaphor of the inevitability of death. We're all on the Titanic. That day on the Titanic, when it sank, that was the 15th of April, 2 o'clock in the morning, roughly, it sank. There were 2,224 passengers on that great luxury liner. 710 survived, and the rest perished. There were different classes, different distinctions on the boat. You had the rich and the poor. You had immigrants and those who weren't immigrants. You had educated and uneducated. And if you've studied or seen the movie, you know there were different classes, different distinctions. But it was interesting, the newspapers, when they carried the story, they just had two columns, two distinctions, those who were believed to be saved and those who were believed to be lost. And then for James Cameron to come along and say that the Titanic is a metaphor of life, the inevitability of death. Last time I checked, the Canadian mortality rate is still 100%. Hasn't changed. Still 100%. Figure that. And so if it is 100% and all of us one day are going to face it, it's 100% guaranteed going to happen, wouldn't it make sense that we prepare for that day? It just seems to make sense that we would, at some moment, we would push back and we'd say, wait a minute, I better make sure I'm ready for that day. I would like to follow somebody through death's door who conquered death. And even if I wasn't totally sure, I would still want to head towards a person who defeated death and rose again. There's only one throughout history that we can assuredly know that went through death's door, rose again, and extended life to us, and that is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And today, He's here. We're gathered in His name. Today, He's reaching out to you. You might be here today, and maybe you've had unbelief, or maybe you've had doubt. Maybe you've had Maybe you're here this morning like many of us, and you're just so glad we get to celebrate Easter. Maybe you're invited by a friend, and your friend said, hey, just come see. Come check it out, and that's great. Maybe you got on the Internet and looked around and said, hey, there's a church service happening. I'm going to go to church Easter. I, I, I feel like I just need to go. It doesn't matter why you're here, but this much I know that God is reaching out to you this morning. He made it clear that none of us, on our own accord, could get to the Father, could get to God. 
Sin can't have a presence with God. And so Jesus, who knew no sin, when he went to the cross, the reason why it was so ugly, so hideous, is because he took the punishment for our sins. And he said, I will do it for David. I'll do it for Cheryl. I'll do it for George. I'll do it for Mary. I will go to the cross for you, and I will take that. So you do not have to do that. That's incredible love. And then he said, whoever would receive this gift, I'll give eternal life. He can't force it on us because if he forced it, it wouldn't be love. But he reached out and said, this is my gift of life to you. Come to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. I've made a way home. I go ahead, he said to the disciples earlier, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. There's room for everyone. I want you to come. Really, the only way you can come is you say, I choose not to. I don't want to be with Father. I don't want to be with God. But God, by His mercy, I believe for every man, every woman, every child, He goes out of His way, even as He did for Thomas. He goes out of His way just to show them how much He loves you. And this morning, He's doing the same thing here. Easter morning, Orpheum 2012. God's reaching out to you today. It's a decision that that little video clip those people made, decision that David in my story, he made, and all over the world, people have made that decision. A survey that was done by Ipsos Reid a few years ago, they found out that 73% of Canadians believe that Jesus died and rose again. 20, almost 3% don't. But Jesus is reaching out to every single one, and today he's reaching out to you. I'm going to invite you this morning, all of us, to bow our heads, and I'm going to pray an Easter prayer. This is a, a very simple prayer, a powerful prayer where, as today, God knocks on the heart of your door. If you don't know Him, or maybe you've walked away, and this would be the Sunday, you'd say, God, I want you in my life. I'm try- tired of doing it on my own, or I simply today realize that you are Lord, you are real. And I want to invite you into my life. And some of you may be thinking, well, I, I'd do that, but I, I think I'd have to quit this and this first. No, you just he says, come as you are. He loves us the way we are. It's part of the journey. It's not over. It's just an incredibly important step to receive his love into our heart. And then we continue as God works in our lives. You get to discover what Mary did with John and Peter and thousands, millions throughout the ages a living relationship with a Father, God, through what Jesus has done for us. So I'll invite you this morning to pray what we call an Easter prayer. And you can pray it out loud. It'll be the greatest Easter of your life. And I invite you just to pray out loud after me. We'll all pray together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything which I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. I receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.